This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. A collision involving an RCMP vehicle at a Richmond intersection is sparking some debate tonight. Take a look. On the right-hand side of your screen, an RCMP SUV enters the intersection, making a left turn just as a semi comes barreling through. Now look again. Both entered on a yellow. So who's at fault here? Aaron MacArthur took that question to the experts. Aaron, this is seen far too often. Sophie, turning left is arguably the most complex thing we will do as drivers. And it's the difference between what we think the rules are and what the rules actually say that can lead to a lot of damage. It takes a fraction of a second, and an RCMP officer gets his cruiser flattened. The rules of the road, especially turning left at an intersection, are pretty straightforward, but poorly understood. You do not have the right of way. Uh, vehicles uh, traveling straight through the intersection take precedence over you. But what are the rules? Where should you be? How many cars are allowed in the intersection? These are all questions on the driver's exam, but who remembers taking that? Even experts have different answers. There should really only be one vehicle in the intersection waiting to turn left. The other vehicles should be waiting behind the stop line. As many cars as can comfortably be in the center of the intersection are permitted to occupy it. You're not permitted to block the crosswalk. Safely turning left requires all of a driver's care and attention, especially when the light turns amber, even red. The expectation is oncoming traffic will stop. But drivers don't always do what they're expected to do. Driving instructors say the best thing to do is wait, even if everyone around you is laying on the horn. Once you own that middle of the intersection, it is yours until you leave it. And as such, if you have to delay because there's a red light runner, then so be it. The fact is you still own the intersection. Who's at fault here? Generally speaking, it's the left-turning driver, but not always. Every case is different. The RCMP officer who was driving the cruiser was taken to hospital, banged up pretty badly, but released this weekend. The RCMP declined an opportunity to comment on this story, only saying they are investigating the collision. All right, thanks for that, Aaron MacArthur reporting tonight. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team has been called in to take over an early morning shooting in Richmond. It happened just after 3 a.m., leaving one man dead. And while police believe it was targeted, a serious police presence in the area just a couple of days before has the neighborhood rattled. Grace Key reports. Residents in this Richmond neighborhood are rattled after seeing yellow police tape and officers surround their block. Many were just getting up to start their day when they heard about the disturbing news. Something wrong over there? Uh, someone was murdered. Oh, my God. Oh, it's terrible. 
Just after 3 in the morning, neighbors called 911 after hearing gunfire and screaming. It happened on the 7500 block of Bridge Street, just in front of a construction site. When police arrived, they found the victim, and despite attempts to save him, he died at the scene. Police also spoke with a distraught woman who showed up later in the day. Residents say there's been suspicious activity here before, and just a couple of days ago, police blocked off the road. Last week, I forget what day it was, they had the road blocked off here. Squatters have been around here, yeah, and, you know, people, sketchy-looking people in the neighborhood. Not even a year ago, there was a shooting on Ash Street right behind us. Uh, last summer, my oldest daughter was walking down Ash Street, and a guy came out of the bush. He had followed her home from somewhere with no clothes on. Police spent much of the day gathering evidence and speaking with neighbors. No information has been released yet on the victim and no word if any arrests have been made. Police believe this is a targeted incident. Grace Key, Global News. RCMP are on the hunt for vandals who broke into a Coquitlam Middle School over the weekend and caused thousands of dollars in damage. Rumina Dea is at Montgomery Middle School for us tonight. Where this happened, Rumina? Sophie, the vandals broke in sometime last night, and based on what RCMP are telling us here in Coquitlam, it doesn't look like the motivation was theft. As you mentioned, a lot of damage caused inside. We talked to students who say that about 80 windows were broken, display cases were smashed, and according to an official with the district, computers were also damaged. Now, as you mentioned, thousands of dollars in damage, but the mess was cleaned up overnight. Repairs are underway, and students did attend classes today. Everyone we spoke to was disgusted and disappointed that so much meaningless damage was done for nothing. They should better have uh, other things to do. Seems a little extreme for this area. I've never heard of anything like hap happening in one of the schools. Yeah. Some people um, did some, like, broke some windows. They broke our classroom windows and they broke the computer labs. The computer's there. Well, I think the majority of us are kind of like upset that it happened because, I mean, it's our school that we come to every day. So it's not like a nice thing to see when you come in the morning. Certainly not. All right, Ramina, what do we know, if anything, about the suspects here? No information from police on the suspects. We still don't know how they gained access to the school, how long they were inside. Police at this point are looking for any information from the public that might help in this investigation. And they're really hoping to receive some surveillance video from the public. Sophie. All right, let's hope they do. Thank you, Ramina. Now take a look at this. The newly installed Rainbow Crosswalk in Fort Langley, funded through private donors, has also been vandalized. Painted just last week, you can see the burnout mark someone left on it over the weekend. And today, a township crew used a pressure washer to clean up the damage, touching up the paint job where needed. This is an amazing community for a lot of reasons. But the number one reason why this community is so incredible, it's the people that live here. Yeah. And so we're, our community is bigger than this and, and better than this. So... I, you know, I don't have any concern about the long-term effects of, of, of a statement like this, a negative statement like this. The positive statement that this sidewalk represents is so much greater than a couple of people that it rubs the wrong way. Rainbow crosswalks, of course, are designed to show support for the LGBTQ community. 
Well, the mayor of Surrey is calling on the province to hurry up and make a decision on phase two of the light rail transit project designed to connect Surrey with Langley, making the communities more vibrant and accessible. Linda Hepner voicing budget concerns tonight, saying while everyone else is on board, the province seems to be dragging its heels and that could end up costing everyone more money. John Hua reports. The next station is King George. The call of the final stop. Connect here for the 96B line. A constant source of frustration for Surrey Transit users. The line's ended here ever since I can remember. If you are ex extending the line, it will be better for the people. But when it comes to extending rapid transit in one of the fastest growing cities in the province, Surrey's mayor says they can't afford any slowdowns. It is frustrating to me that for the last couple of years we've been assessing the Fraser Line portion. Mayor Hepner wants the province to sign off on ground level light rail for phase two of the 27 kilometer system connecting Surrey to Langley, cautioning rising costs and fewer bargains at bid time. People are much more inclined to respond to a larger system, 27, as opposed to a smaller system, 10, and we're in competition with systems right across this country. The Metro Vancouver Mayor's Council selecting light rail over rapid rail and even rapid bus transit because of its design and potential economic benefit. Now when you include phase two, adding light rail to the Fraser Highway, the overall cost is $2.2 billion. It also has 12,000 weekday trips to the transit system. It's not the cheapest or the most efficient, which has opponents saying if you're gonna spend that much money, might as well head into a different direction, namely up. It was estimated that the cost-benefit for a SkyTrain and BRT option was far superior. Transit users we spoke to seem to want to stick to what they know. Go to Calgary, see what light rail's like, and you won't want to build it. The provincial government says it will not make a decision until TransLink provides business cases for both Phase 2 options. John Hua, Global News. Transportation, the theme this week as we look at issues affecting where we live. And don't forget to join us Friday when the News Hour will be broadcasting live from the shipyards in North Vancouver. Well, new legislation brought in by the NDP today reforms how election campaigns will be funded. But there was an unexpected bombshell. Keith Baldry joins us with more on that. Uh, this involves giving tax dollars to BC political parties. For the first time, Keith. Yes, for the first time, and counter to what the NDP had promised, John Horgan actually on the record saying he was not going to do this, was going to go to a committee. Uh, but this is the bill, and as you say, sweeping reforms, Bill 3, the Election Amendment Act, all sorts of things are in this. I just picked out a few highlights, though. Uh, again, for the first time, uh, tax dollars will be going to fund political parties in B.C. Corporate and union, union donations are banned. Of course, that was the main key promise of the, of the reform package. A maximum individual contribution now capped at $1,200. used to be open-ended, which led us to the rise to the Wild West of fundraising accusations. And out-of-province donations, and that includes foreign donations, are going to be banned. Now, back to the tax dollars. Your tax dollars now going to uh, political parties. We're talking about $6.8 million for each of the NDP and the B.C. Liberals over a four-year funding formula scheme. And the Green Party, because it's based on how many votes he got in the 2017 election, the Greens didn't fare as well. They, they still get $2.8 million, basically winning the lottery here for a Green uh, 
uh, to support the NDP on this legislation. As I mentioned earlier, John Horgan went before the election on a radio interview well, a number of times. Well, we've, we've picked up a radio interview in Kamloops where he was asked point blank, will you give tax dollars to political parties? Here's his answer. Just to be clear, there is going to be nothing in there about sort of uh, taxpayers having to fund political Not a, parties. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, what we proposed is that Elections BC will look across the country and around the world at the best way to make sure that only individuals are paying for our political process and our election process. That's what we've said in the past. That's what we're going to say in February. And that's what we're going to do after the May election when we form the next government. All right, Keith, you showed us some numbers there. How much are we talking about when it comes to taxpayers paying for the parties? You know, I'm glad the reporters are all uh, glad we went to a technical briefing because in the middle of it, out popped another number. So all to, the election expenses are going to be covered as well. They're going to be reimbursed for a lot of them, about $11 million. So when you add it all together, we're talking in the neighborhood, probably more than $30 million of tax dollars are now going to go to the three main uh, political parties in B.C., something we've never seen before in history. All right, Keith, thanks for that. Keith Baldry and Victoria for us. A unique protest today as the Park Board prepares to vote on a balloon ban in city parks and community centres. The concern is that balloons pose a risk to wildlife and the environment. But as Jill Bennett reports, critics of the ban say education is what's needed. As a balloon artist, you go through a lot of latex. And I got a turtle, and this one looks just like Spurt from Finding Nemo, so I think it's really cute. But these professional balloon twisters are worried. A motion put forward by a Vancouver Park Board commissioner could take a big bite out of their business. I'm asking that the uh, Park Board put in place a prohibition of the display and use of balloons in uh, park facilities. There are concerns the bright plastics can end up in the ocean, posing a risk to seabirds, turtles and other creatures that mistake them for food. The ribbons can injure birds or even kill them. But those who work with balloons every day say the proposed ban is too wide. They agree releasing helium balloons is a big concern, but say what they do is totally different. Uh, these balloons are actually made from a sap of a rubber tree and they tap into this tree the exact same way that we would tap into a maple tree to get syrup. And now because of that, these things are organic materials and so that means they will decompose as fast as an oak leaf. you got to look after the balloons. You drop it on the ground, you got to pick it up. Yeah. Those in the balloon community say education would be better than a ban. We have the people that hire us with the balloons, and that's their expectation is you're going to twist fancy balloons for them. So there is going to be a definite uh, impact. I'm not sure how I'm feeling about it. I understand some of the reasons why they're considering it. But if we're responsible um, with our own uh, garbage and refuse, then I don't think it should be a problem. There is now a petition opposing the balloon ban, and this colorful crowd hopes the board will listen to them before making a decision. Jill Bennett, Global News. Well, we still have a couple of days left of summer, but you'd hardly know it today. Hail pounded down in parts of Metro Vancouver, including this deluge in the Coquitlam area. The residents forced to take cover and why it's just a hint of what's likely to come in just over a minute. UBC's president getting carried away at the Thunderbirds football game this weekend. Why his crowd surfing stunt wasn't the only first for the school. Plus, a very surprising find for a family in Australia. The harrowing journey of this koala bear later on the news hour. 
But first, earlier this year, much of B.C. seemed to skip spring altogether and go straight from winter to summer. And with today's hail in Metro Vancouver and reports of snow elsewhere in B.C., you'd be forgiven for thinking we're skipping fall as well. Jeff Hastings has the latest on this unseasonable cold snap. The heavens opened up above Coquitlam, a late summer storm that had locals asking, what the hail? The wind, the sound of the hail coming down, it was sound like a little bit like a train hitting my deck. The Tri-Cities pelted with a couple of centimeters of pea-sized pebbles. Caught me off guard wearing shorts and t-shirts. <laughs> uh, it was mowing lawn, uh, yeah, and it just started pouring rain. Just horrible, horrible rain. And then hail started happening, and then horrible hail started happening. It hurt. Is it the Coquihalla or Port Coquitlam? The plunge in temperature, a reminder that in B.C., winter is usually right around the corner. A kickstart to snow tire season, one we're hopefully more prepared for after last year's particularly epic winter. We've got customers already putting them on. Um, it's not way out of line to have them on this early. You're not going to have a huge detriment getting the winter tires on. So if you wanted to beat the rush, you could still get them on even kind of as it sits today. There's a hint of another La Nina, the weather phenomenon that led to last winter's frigid misery. You know, we're halfway up the mountain or a quarter way up the mountain right now, and it, it feels definitely chilly. Um, on Friday, last Friday, the, it was announced that uh, La Nina is coming again, so that's the best kind of prediction um, that we can ask for. So that means the same as last year, big snow and uh, cold temperatures. Honestly, it was hot the other day, so this came out of nowhere. Summer is swiftly draining away, but it's still September. There's time for the skies to open to sunshine instead of icy unpleasantness. Jeff Hastings, Global News. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon to explain why it's so cold. Christy? Thanks, Sophia. So the first fall-like cold front swung through uh, the area yesterday, and we saw a lot of rain and a big drop in temperature. Then today, a pool of cold air dropped down from the north, and this cold air was at higher elevations, and this does Two things. It drops a freezing level. That's why we saw snow at higher elevations in the mountains today. But it also creates a significant amount of instability. Thus, the lightning and pockets of intense hail today, too. And the risk isn't over. So when I come back, I'll show you which areas could see the action tonight. So, All right. Thanks, Christy. And a much more dire weather situation brewing in the Caribbean. Why those who escaped Irma might not be so lucky this time. Still to come. And up next, delivery failure. The Canada Post policy, she says, is anything but safe. When the news hour continues. With more of us shopping online for home delivery, the safety and security of our purchases is becoming more important. And Druid joins us now with the story of one very unhappy Canada Post customer. And Very in- unhappy indeed. Thanks for that, Sophie. A woman who shops online is warning consumers about Canada Post's safe drop policy. The policy allows a delivery agent to drop off your parcel in a safe area at your home when you're not available. But Nisha Brar says it's not a safe option, and she has video evidence to prove it. He leaves the package in an open, visible area. He knocked on the door. My doorbell's on this side. Nisha Brar is questioning the security of Canada Post safe drop practice after the package she ordered online was stolen from her doorstep. The theft caught on Nisha's home security camera showing a brazen woman walking up to Nisha's home and walking away with her goods. Feel like it could have been avoidable? Definitely. Easily. 
Nisha is a regular online shopper. When she made a recent order and the package was shipped by Canada Post, she says she was shocked by how it arrived. The delivery man didn't wait to see if anybody was going to answer the knock, didn't ring the doorbell, left the parcel at my doorstep. And two and a half hours later, as seen in this home surveillance footage, Nisha's package was stolen. It's something that was taken from my home and it provoked her to also go through my mailbox. Canada Post refused an on-camera interview to discuss its safe drop policy. But in a statement said, safe drop is a common and accepted delivery practice among all Canadian parcel delivery companies. In cases when the customer is not available to receive the package, the delivery agent will use his or her best judgment in making a safe drop decision. We will only safe drop if there is a safe place sheltered from weather and the parcel cannot be seen by passersby, such as inside an enclosed porch or storm door. But Nisha's front steps where the package was dropped is easily visible from the street. It's just like leaving money unguarded. Canada Post also says it will only safe drop the parcel if it does not require a signature or collection of funds or the sender has not requested do not safe drop, something Nisha says is unrealistic in the online world of shopping. We don't know when a retailer or anybody that we're shopping from online is using Canada Post as opposed to another provider. You are taking the responsibility of shipping this to us. Make sure it gets to us. Now, Canada Post does offer a flex delivery service where you can have your items shipped directly to a post office location instead of your usual mailing address. Just keep in mind, though, not all retailers ship to P.O. boxes. Other ways to protect your packages, have the parcel sent to your workplace, a friend or family's address, or request that a signature be required before the package is mailed. Also, other couriers like FedEx offer special notifications via text or email that allow you to redirect your packages. It's something to look into. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, Anne, thanks for that. Well, like many other B.C. cities, Victoria is struggling with a homeless problem, not the least of which is the damage it does to city, the city's public places. But a new proposed solution to protect its parks is being called mean-spirited. Nitu Garcher reports. Amidst a homeless and housing crisis, parks in B.C.'s capital are being used more and more as shelters. Um, I've got my bedroom in the back. Housing advocate Chrissy Brett is among those living in this one and among those concerned over proposed bylaw amendments to city park regulations. There is a lot of uh, nodding in my backyard. One change would require those who live in parks and open spaces to move to a new area every day. A move said to protect vegetation. After people wake up, to simply move um, themselves and their stuff uh, about 100 metres or so away in order to give the piece of land where they've slept some breathing room so that it can kind of resuscitate. Also on the table, a six-hour time limit on how long people can stay in city parks. But the homeless would be excluded from that one, which is why the mayor is calling all of this a balanced approach, while others are calling it inhumane. It's more rubbing salt in the wounds. A lot of people have health problems when they're homeless and it's not easy for them to to be able to move at 100 meters. Seems ridiculous. As long as they leave by 7 a.m., people can sleep in parks at night. Restricting that when homeless shelter beds are full is unconstitutional, according to a 2008 B.C. Supreme Court decision. The mayor says the goal now is to honor that while avoiding another situation like this. You know, at the end of Tent City, and that was an unusual circumstance, it cost $300,000 to clean up. 
uh, and trees died. Still, Brett is slamming the city for even considering a change that would uproot lives on the daily. Being told that you don't belong here, but you can move 100 meters down, I think is insulting. Nitu Garcha, Global News, Victoria. Coming up, following in Irma's deadly footsteps, Hurricane Maria bears down on the already devastated Caribbean. Plus, caught on video, a fatal bus crash in New York City and what might have caused it. And American students victimized in a shocking acid attack in France. The surprising message they have about the suspect. A security camera captures the moment a charter bus crashes into a New York City bus. It happened early this morning. The crash killed a pedestrian who was walking on the sidewalk, along with the driver of the charter bus and a passenger on the city bus. Sixteen other people were injured. No word on the cause so far, but it has been reported that charter bus might have run a red light. And the driver who died had been fired from the New York Transit Authority back in 2015 when it was discovered that he'd been arrested for drunk driving. There appears to be no mercy for the Caribbean from the 2017 storm season. Hurricane Maria has strengthened to a potentially devastating Category 4 storm and is bearing down on the many of the islands already trashed by Irma. Tonight, already lashing the Caribbean island of Martinique. Hurricane Maria, a powerful Category 4 storm, is now barreling towards Puerto Rico. We are very, very, very uh, um, worried. Today in San Juan, a frantic scramble for supplies. Again, just days after Irma, Maria has rapidly intensified. The government now declaring a state of emergency, rationing basic provisions like water and baby formula. There's no water anywhere. can't find water. I can't find ice. While Irma decimated islands like Barbuda, it only grazed Puerto Rico, but still knocked out electricity to 75% of the island. More than 60,000 customers still in the dark. This spree of storms exposing problems with its fragile power grid and crumbling infrastructure. Among the hardest hit areas by Irma, the coastal town of Luisa, debris still piled on the street. Nancy Pizarro rode out Irma in her home when a tree fell through her roof. Now she's terrified of what Maria might bring. The island hasn't seen a Category 4 or 5 storm since 1932. It's going to be a challenge. But Today, Puerto Rico's governor, Ricardo Rosselló, urged people in flood-prone areas to get out. It's the difference between life and death. It's really that simple. Puerto Rico was the safe haven for some 3,500 Irma evacuees from other Caribbean islands, some on dialysis still in this shelter. Others, like Gabriel Wilson from St. Thomas, are now desperately trying to find a flight to the U.S. mainland. I'm thinking, how much more does my home have to take, you know? Puerto Rico, the island that helped those devastated by Irma, now in Maria's direct path. A heartwarming display of compassion from four young American women who were the target of a horrifying attack in France. The four Boston College students were rushed to hospital in Marseille after being attacked with acid. Doctors expect the victims to recover, and police describe the 41-year-old woman who attacked them as disturbed. The four girls now asking people to pray for their attacker, saying mental illness is not a choice and should not be villainized. An astounding survival story in Australia. I've never seen anything like that, and it's absolutely incredible. 
Even conservation officers couldn't quite believe it. A koala bear trapped in a car's wheel well for a 16-kilometer journey over winding roads in southern Australia. The people in the vehicle had no idea until they arrived and heard her cries. She was covered in grease and had some superficial injuries, but was nursed back to health and released. She promptly climbed into the closest tree and fell asleep. In Health Matters tonight, a new Canadian study says teenagers who use e-cigarettes have a substantially higher risk of taking up tobacco. The University of Waterloo study found students in grades 7 to 12 who tried vaping are twice as likely to be susceptible to cigarette smoking. It also found that almost 10% of students in that age group had used e-cigarettes. Particularly those who are using them regularly, they're becoming addicted to nicotine. And I think what's happening is that they're um, likely to be discovering that um, cigarettes, traditional tobacco cigarettes, are a very effective way of delivering nicotine. The researchers say they support restricting access to e-cigarettes among minors. Tobacco use remains the leading cause of preventable death in Canada. In B.C., retailers are barred from selling e-cigarettes to anyone under the age of 19. That's the same restriction as tobacco. Still to come, it was supposed to be a joke. This will be the largest audience to But not everyone Emmys. is laughing about Sean Spicer's cameo at the Emmys. Plus, as Santa's spotting at the UBC football game, why this wasn't the only first for the Thunderbirds this weekend. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Is there anyone who could say how big the audience is? A surprise appearance that was the talk of the Emmys, but not everyone was laughing. It's right after Christie's forecast. All right, meteorologist Christy Gordon back with us with a look at our weather forecast and mm-hmm. uh, turned on the space heater today in the oh, office. Oh, I know. It's a killer. It Put on the sweater, wore the long <laughs> pants. I know. I'm with you. Uh, so, yeah, big drop into fall in the last uh, day to two days across the region, depending on where you live. And uh, that does mean a huge improvement for the fire danger rating. Check out this. We had a lot of red and oranges just on Friday and now through the weekend, a big change, which is great news. Uh, in terms of the fires, uh, in through the Caribou Central Interior, only three fires of note. Still watching the south, though, especially that southeastern corner, still 10 fires of note. Today, they had a few showers in that region, not a ton of moisture, but it's certainly cooler. Uh, the thing is they had a risk of thunderstorms and gusty winds in that area as well. That's that pool of cold air uh, that has shifted down across the province. We are going to be contending with the coolness and the unsettled weather right through until Wednesday. Then Wednesday will shift into the interior. We'll see a bit of a break across the coast, but those of you in the interior won't be until Friday that you'll start to see some relief. In the meantime, for the south coast, we still have quite a bit of instability across the region. The bulk of the moisture or the pockets of uh, showers, maybe even hail or more intense rain, will be across Vancouver Island through tonight. Then a chance of showers across the south coast, or sorry, the lower mainland region. Majority of that pushing in, though, I think tomorrow morning and in particular later on in the day. So we do certainly have this instability across our region right through the next 24 hours. Expect it to be cool again tomorrow. Here's a look at the northern region. So uh, northern parts of across the north coast, not quite as bad. Actually, fairly 
seasonal for you. Nice mix of sun and cloud. The bulk of the pool of cool air is south. Uh, Prince George, though, only warming up to 12 degrees, 14 in through Quesnel. Uh, Williams Lake, a huge improvement for you tomorrow. You only saw a high of 9 today. That was a good 8 degrees below average. So warming up a little bit for you tomorrow uh, in Williams Lake at 12. A chance of showers from the Columbia region right down into the Kootenai region. Still a little bit of instability, so a risk of thunderstorms. And for the south coast, definitely a chance of showers across our region. Uh, highs of only 15 degrees in through Metro Vancouver. We will see a transition day on Wednesday with showers in the morning, drier in the afternoon. Thursday, Friday, not looking too badly. So far, the weekend is a little uncertain. Some models are calling for moisture, some calling for rain. So make sure, uh, sorry, calling for dry weather. So make sure you tune back in as we get a little closer. A belated happy birthday to Marjorie Campbell. She turned 101 over the weekend. And Sue Lum today celebrating 100 years. Here's our window, window looking back at Coquitlam at around oh, 1 o'clock this afternoon where the uh, hail was so heavy it was clogging up the drains. Yikes. So. All right. Thanks, Christy. Well, it was, without a doubt, the most talked about appearance of last night's Emmy Awards, but not everyone thought it was funny. During his opening monologue, host Stephen Colbert asks if anyone can determine how big the audience is. Enter former White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer, lampooning his notorious lecture to the press corps about the size of Donald Trump's inauguration crowd. This will be the largest audience to witness an Emmy's period, both in person and around the world. Well, the mixed reaction of the stars in the audience, representative of social media as well. Some tweets appreciating Spicer's ability to laugh at himself, while others blasted it as an attempt to normalize him. When you do set an attendance record at a football game, things get pretty exciting. When nearly 10,000 people showed up for the UBC Thunderbirds game on Saturday, UBC President Santa Ono got into the spirit. He decided to do a little crowd surfing to celebrate the fact that it was the biggest crowd ever for a Thunderbirds game and the third biggest in conference history. The T-Birds, by the way, beat the Saskatchewan Huskies 31-10. to 10. Now, if you accidentally dropped him, would you be kicked out of school? <laughs> That's a good point. It would be frowned upon, for sure. You don't want to mess that mm-hmm. one up, hey? No. Um, the tall man, Chris Galis, is not with us tonight. He's back tomorrow. Doctor, he's at the Dr. Kindry Memorial Golf Tournament, uh, hoping to build four hospice beds on the Sea to Sky Highway. So I'm not okay. sure how the weather would have been for him, though, today. Yeah, well, they could have seen uh, a little bit of hail, but hopefully, hopefully they missed it. But- I'm sure they had fun and mm-hmm. doing good work out there. Mm-hmm. Yes. What do you have for us? I have golf. Well, I have a lot of things, but I will talk right now about golf. Uh, Adam Hadwin is heading into two big tournaments this month. And, of course, this is the biggest year of his young career. I'm going to have some difficulties topping this moving forward. I mean, he's got to be good. The word win is part of his last name. We will hear from Canada's best golfer coming up. Also ahead, Hollywood superstar Jake Gyllenhaal and the real-life hero whose true story he's bringing to the big screen. All right, so Squires here with sports. Just before we get to the actual sports part of the sports, the Canucks are in China. Yes, they are. And it's a long flight. Yes, it is. And those guys don't fly coach, or they didn't here anyway. No, they do not. So this is the Crystal Sky, I think. Troy Stetcher. They look happy. Berchie and uh, Bo. These are these are photos from the Canucks Instagram account. Uh, the guys, the the team chartered this private jet called the Crystal Sky. It's eighty eight 
of those reclining seats. They <laughs> yes. lie flat. There's a separate social lounge. Well, so there should be, really. A stand-up bar, apparently. I don't yes. know if these guys are drinking before. Well, I think I think they, you know, it's a long flight. They probably gave them one or two. And um, also, they get butlers, not flight attendants. Um, I don't know how much this thing costs. A lot. But you're not I think gonna, the NHL or maybe the Chinese government's picking up the tab. I you're not going to find it, I think. At I mean, the charter the Canucks like that. take during the regular season is very nice. Mm-hmm. Very wide-bodied seats, very better. comfortable. This one is even better. You know, one Canuck that didn't get to fly on that uh, plane to China is Brock Besser. I know we talked about him last week, but really... This is the best young player the Canucks have right now, and he's scoring goals, albeit an exhibition, that most of the veterans who did fly to China could not score. In L.A., this one, the winning goal. But the one that really impressed me this weekend was the one he scored yesterday. I know they lost 9-4 to Vegas, but check this out. That speed and right underneath the bar. That shot is not for Utica. Just so the Canucks coaching staff needs some advice. That's a Vancouver shot. That's NHL. So after spending the summer trying to get a job with the Arizona Cardinals in the NFL and not getting one, Alex Bazzi is back with the BC Lions. And that's great news for the Lions because last season, BC's defense was second in quarterback sacks. But this year, right now, they are second to last in that same category. Now, 2016, Bazzi had 11 sacks on his own. That led the team. That was a career high. He was given a chance to pursue his NFL dream. Lions released him in January, but you always knew that if it didn't work out with the cards, the Lions would love to have him back. He's only 26. There are a good number of years left. Alex Baz, he is signed for the rest of this season. He might be able to play this week against Hamilton at home. When it comes to uh, North American sports, there is nothing bigger than the NFL. In fact, last year, the NFL's overall income was 3.2, I think, billion dollars. That was 500 million more than the NBA, the NHL, and Major League Baseball put together. According to Forbes, the average NFL team right now is worth, on average, two and a half billion dollars. The Seahawks are the 17th highest valued team at just under two and a half billion. The top five is led for the 11th straight year by the Dallas Cowboys. Here are the numbers. The Cowboys are way ahead of everybody else when it comes to net worth. $4.8 billion. The Patriots, who win more than the Cowboys, $3.7 billion, and you see the other top five. Giants are one of them, and they're playing tonight against the Detroit Lions. That's Matthew Stafford, who makes a lot of money now. And that's Marvin Jones Jr. with the first touchdown of the game, 27 yards away, 7 nothing. Detroit Lions. And then Eli Manning to Evan Ingram. Touchdown. Game tied 7-7. One tight end scores. Now another tight end will score. Eric Ebron as Stafford gets away late in the second quarter. Lions up 14-7 on the Giants. So when Marshawn Lynch retires for good from the NFL, he's going to get a call from Dancing with the Stars. Yesterday, his celebration for the Raiders win over the Jets could really double as a Dancing with the Stars audition. And if anyone didn't like it or thought he shouldn't have done it, there is a way to stop it, win the game, because losing players never dance. But yesterday, Marshawn Lynch was on the winning team. So he's an Oakland guy who decided to fire up the crowd, his teammates, and he probably fired up the Jets too. 
in the wrong way with this little victory dance on the side. And he's got some moves, so he's getting on the good foot. You kidding me? So this week, Adam Hadwin is one of the uh, final 30 players in the running for the FedEx Cup Championship. Top 30 point getters will play the Tour Championship. The mere fact Hadwin got into this event, ranked 21st in points, is a huge accomplishment. Hadwin playing his third here at the par four. Missed the fairway, unable to hit the green, but I guess it doesn't matter. There hasn't been many missed shots by Adam Hadwin in a season of first for the talented BC golfer. He's actively in the chase for the FedEx Cup, and while it's unlikely he'll win the PGA's playoff, it's the perfect send-off, as Adam will be teeing it up at the President's Cup in a few weeks, just the third Canadian golfer to ever do so. Three birdies, a couple of bogeys. Uh, it was on my radar the entire year. I probably thought about it a little bit too much, to be honest with you. But uh, to play some good golf here at the end of the season and, and to clinch a spot the tenth, that was that was my big thing. Is I wanted to to get myself on the team without having to rely on a pick, and I was able to do that. And uh, I'm looking forward to a really good week. But it was the perfect start to the year. Adam shot 59. He then won his first ever PGA Tour event and then played in all four major championships. Again, another career first. To date this season, he's posted a win, a runner-up, five top ten finishes, 3.3 million in earnings, and a lofty world golf ranking of 46th. And he's not done yet. But it's a birdie for Hadwin. I've got some unfinished business, but... I mean, it's been a tremendous year overall. Uh, certainly my most consistent year by far since being on tour. Uh, you know, getting a win, capping the year off with a President's Cup here. Um, you know, I know we're always searching for more and we, we think we could have always played better, but uh, it's been a, a tremendous third year and, and uh, I'm going to have some difficulties topping this moving forward. Okay, so he's going to have some difficulties winning the uh, FedEx Cup, but he can do it. Things must happen. He has to win the Tour Championship. Spieth has to be 13th or worse. Justin Thomas, uh, 5th or worse. DJ has to be a uh, three-way tie or worse. Mark Leachman, 3rd or worse. A lot of things have to happen. But as we said, the fact he got into this event is massive. Good for him. All right. There you go. Thank you, Squire. Let's check in with Ann Drew now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Ann? Thanks, Sophie. And it looks like the North Shore is the latest victim of the labor shortage in the restaurant industry. Tonight, we investigate why it's happening and if anything is being done to turn things around. And as we've been hearing, the Vancouver Park Board will vote on a motion to ban balloons from city parks and community centers. The vote takes place at 7 o'clock tonight. We will be there and have the results for you as soon as they become available. We'll have those stories and much more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. All right, thanks, Ann. Up next, a man who personifies the term Boston Strong and the Hollywood superstar who plays him on the big screen. Coming up on ET Canada, all the highlights from the Emmy Awards that you did not see on TV, plus secrets from season two of The Handmaid's Tale from Elizabeth Moss, and what it was like when Emma Stone met tennis legend Billie Jean King. All of that is coming up at 7 right after the news hour, but for now, it's back to you, Sophie. All right, thanks very much, Cheryl. Well, the picture taken of him moments after the Boston Marathon bombing changed his life forever. In the days, weeks, and months that followed, Jeff Bauman became a symbol of strength. Now, one of Hollywood's biggest stars is playing him in a movie based on his battle back. Oh, I didn't do it. New bonds between new friends. One, the movie star. The other, the survivor. Man, does it feel good to, to be around this guy. Jake Gyllenhaal plays Jeff Bowman in the new feature film, Stronger. I'm 
make a big sign for you. Bowman was there at the finish line when the bombs went off at the 2013 Boston Marathon. His trauma captured forever in this photograph. At first, I'm like, why would someone take that picture? But then you start realizing that it captured something great. They were saving my life. Jeff lost both his legs. Four years ago, I was down and laying in a hospital bed with basically, you know, no path ahead of me. And here I am now. And I want people to look at that and have hope. You take for granted when someone's standing the way he does and is walking around the world in these legs. Chest up. That battle with pain and fame included a bout of addiction. You gotta fight through the hard stuff and it's a real struggle and that's, you know, it's life. I really need you right now. And overcoming life's struggles with the help of those around us is what Stronger is all about. I kind of realized that everybody's struggling and we all need each other. My daughter here actually wrote a report on the first class. Oh, yeah? I love that scene. Everyone's telling me, you know, she did a book report for me. You know, half of me is like, why would you write something about me? But then the other half is like, all right, was it good? What'd you get? You're like a symbol to a lot of people. What did you think of the film? I like it, but I don't want to, like, just boost myself and be, uh, I don't know. Conceited. I, I'm not you like that. You like it. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. An unwitting hero, but a hero just the same. Kevin Tibbles, NBC News, Boston.